Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We hope a good day for you. Stay cool. It's hot, hot, hot across the country and, uh, wow, dangerously hot in many places. Be careful. They keep talking about cooler weather coming, so we'll look forward to that and hopefully some rain across the country, too. We need some of that, and we will watch that closely as we go through this weekend and look for better conditions, hopefully improved conditions next week. Weather's hot. Markets are not. Uh, They stay volatile, and uh, we'll keep watching those as well. A lot of focus on both weather and markets coming up on Monday's program. But today we're going to focus on the Kansas wheat harvest. As Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat, will join us a little bit later on with a report on wheat harvest. We're going to talk about dairy exports, some of the trade issues the dairy industry is dealing with. We'll talk with Shauna Morris with the National Milk Producers Federation. But we're going to start things off today with our first preview of this year's Husker Harvest Day show that's coming up, Grand Island, Nebraska, September 14th, 15th, and 16th. And our Husker Harvest Days preview brought to you by Syngenta. Joining us now is Matt Youngman, Farm Progress Events Manager, and Travis Gustafson, Syngenta Agronomic Service Representative. Matt and Travis, thank you both for joining us. And Matt, I'll start with you. This is our first preview of Husker Harvest Days. Uh, Tell us how things are looking as that show comes up in mid-September. Things are looking great, Mike. You know, we had a we had a really good spring. Got everything in really timely there. Kind of ahead of a little bit of a cold snap. Uh, the corn went in, made it through a couple more more bouts of cold, and um, it's uh, it, it's it's coming together really well. The the Libby family and and the folks that do the boots on the ground work out there at Husker Harvest Days have been doing it for upwards of forty years, so they know what they're doing uh, in terms of laying the the groundwork. And the exhibitors are, are coming in nicely. We've got a nice full exhibit field and a lot of, a lot of great things to look forward to at Husker Harvest Days. For those not familiar with or maybe have not attended Husker Harvest Days but are familiar with Farm Progress, there are similarities, but there's a little different focus and emphasis uh, as far as uh, uh, more irrigation, perhaps more livestock-centric out at that show. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. You know, for for a lot of your listeners, maybe in in the central Midwest who who haven't been to Husker Harvest Days and only been to Farm Progress Show, you know, I, I would suggest putting Husker on their their bucket list because folks around me here in Western Illinois that I have talked into going out to Husker just love it. Um, you know, there's a there's a heavy emphasis on irrigated row crop for the for the big four irrigation companies, TNL, Ranky, Valley, uh, and and Lindsay. It is the biggest show that they put on. It is the largest concentration of their customers. So for anybody who's involved in, in pivot irrigation, Husker Harvest Days is probably the best show in the country, if not the world, to go and learn about that. And then, you know, the other thing that, that makes it unique is that we're in the western Corn Belt, and you don't have to go too far west, and it, it turns into all cow-calf, and there's a lot of feedlots out there. Nebraska is the number one beef state in the country. So 25% of that show site is made up of, of 
beef focused exhibitors and and you know from cat from from a cattle handling demonstration that has 13 head shoots in it to every form and fashion of of head shoot and cattle handling equipment and and everything involved in that it's it's a fantastic beef event we will talk more about uh, Husker Harvest Days and uh, the preparations and some of the things you'll see there this year in a moment. But let's bring in Travis Gustafson with Syngenta. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about what the conditions are throughout Nebraska right now. Travis, thank you for joining us. Uh, tell us about crop conditions. What are you seeing there? Well, um, you know, I think this uh, just doesn't just go for Nebraska here, but we are hot and dry. Um, yesterday, I think... Um, we're 100, 506 degrees. Today's going to be a little bit cooler at about 95. So, um, you know, I think that pretty much echoes across the rest of the Midwest. Um, fortunately, you know, like Matt mentioned, we have a lot of pivot irrigation in the state, so we are able to keep our, our crops watered. But, um, boy, where those pivots don't hit, you know, along the corners and things like that, you can really see that corn rolling and uh, we're it, it, this is probably one of the more stressful years I've seen as far as crops go, just because we started out a little bit cool, you know, some cold snaps and some wet conditions, and then all of a sudden it turned hot and dry, and um, it's it's just beating up the crops out there, it seems like. Yeah, the, the crop this year in many states uh, has had to deal with a lot in a short period of time. I mean, uh, here we are just in mid-June, and already it's gone through a lot. That's right, yeah, and, you know, um, a lot of times we do get some sort of stress from the weather, but this one has been a very broad spectrum, you know, from one extreme to the other, so uh, we're asking a lot out of our crop this year. All things considered, how would you say the crop's looking throughout Nebraska? I think we're we're on track for a good year, um, especially in Nebraska where we can water, you know, we typically have our best yield in drought years because, we get a lot of sunlight, and we can turn on the water. And so I think we're on track for a good crop in Nebraska. Um, you combine that with commodity prices, and the outlook is pretty positive. All right. We'll talk more about crop conditions and things to be watching for and what uh, Travis is seeing in Nebraska and in that part of the country a little bit later on in this preview of Husker Harvest Days. Matt Youngman, uh, as you get ready for that show – Again, coming off a year where you didn't have people on the grounds, um, I know you're excited about having people back. Yeah, you know the 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 big question is what's what's going to be new at Husker Harvest Days, and 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 that's kind of a question of what are we putting our emphasis on. Um, I, I think just having a show is going to be the, the great success for this year. You know, as as Travis mentioned, there's a little bit of a perfect storm coming together here with the fact that you know. Nobody has seen any of the new products or technologies in person for well over a year. And, if, you know, if, if your last time at a show was was maybe maybe Husker Harvest Days 2019, there's been two years' worth of new products and new innovations that have hit the market that nobody has seen. So it's not just the new things that are going to be unveiled between now and September. It's everything that's been unveiled in the last 18 months that's going to be new at Husker Harvest Days. So, you know, we're, we're just really excited to have a live in-person event. Um, you know, there's going to be a, a few small changes we make in terms of operations because of, of the pandemic. You know, we're going to have extra sanitation. We're going to have some extra hand sanitizers available and, and face masks if folks want them. But, but basically, 
we're going to be able to put on a, a Husker Harvest Days without any real serious implications to it. So folks can expect just a, a good show that they're going to get to go and enjoy. And we're going to get more details coming up. We're talking with Matt Youngman, Farm Progress Events Manager, and Travis Gustafson, Syngenta Agronomic uh, uh, Agronomy Service Rep, as we're talking about Husker Harvest Days coming up September 14th, 15th, and 16th in Grand Island, Nebraska. And we're talking crop conditions as well. So stay with us. Much more to come. Later, an update on the Kansas wheat harvest and also dairy trade issues. It's a busy program. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry. The pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of the topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you a guest important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, it is one thing to read about and hear about what's going on on our southern border. It's another thing to actually experience it. President of the Texas Farm Bureau, Russell Baining, joins us again. Uh, Give us an update on the situation, what you are hearing from folks along that border. It's still a crisis. We have many Farm Bureau members and other ag producers along the border, and they're still dealing with the influx of folks coming over here illegally. It's been talked about some already. You're looking at damage to crops and damage to other property, whether it be fences and things like that. So those are the things we're dealing with. Safety's become a very big concern as well because, uh, quite frankly, a lot of these folks are criminals. And the coyotes, the, the human smugglers, are using the fact that there's a surge to really make it easier for them to do their dirty work, whether it's human trafficking or whether it's drug trafficking or things of that nature. So, you know, you're not just dealing with folks that are coming over here looking for asylum. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Step right up and gaze upon this miraculous substance I hold in the palm of my hands. This little miracle can feed us, clothe us, give us clean, fresh water, and provide wildlife habitat for nature's critters. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the greatest soil Learn more about soil health principles that can turn your soil into a star performer. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Our Husker Harvest Days preview show brought to you by Syngenta. We're talking with Matt Youngman, Farm Progress Events Manager, and Travis Gustafson, Syngenta Agronomic Service Rep. Again, Husker Harvest Days will be in Grand Island, Nebraska, September 14th, 15th, and 16th. Travis, you talked about the hot, dry conditions. What other uh, uh, conditions or pressures or issues are you seeing when you uh, scout those fields and talk with farmers? Well, one of the big things that we've been running across is uh, these post applications. You know, when it gets hot and dry, it's a struggle to get some of these uh, herbicides to work really well on hardened off weeds. And uh, so that's one of the things we're watching for right now. Um, so far in my specific area, it hasn't been as bad as it's been in the past. We've been able to control our weeds, but I think most of that has been because we had great performance out of our residual herbicides. So, uh, but there, there's some struggles there with uh, these later applications of herbicides. Um, you know, either controlling the, being able to control the weeds, or in some cases, we're uh, making hot mixes and and dinging our crop a little bit too. So, um, the, the again, this goes back to the stressful conditions. Uh, the, the crops just aren't able to handle. You know, you throw an extra herbicide stress on there, and, and it uh, is a little bit too much to handle sometimes. Mm-hmm. Where would you say the crop's at in its development, uh, pretty much on track for mid-June, or what would you describe it like? Yeah, corn, we're, pro- we're on track. Um, you know, we're in that D8 stage. I mean, that, that's going to vary across the geography, but uh, we're around that growth stage for corn. Um, soybeans, I would say we're tracking a little bit behind. Uh, they, A lot of uh, soybeans got planted in the, you know, late April, we had a lot of wet and cold conditions in that time frame, you know, late April, early May, and they sat in the ground for a very long time before they came out. So soybeans seem like they're running a little bit behind, but corn, I think, is uh, on track with where it should be this time of June. What do you see throughout Nebraska as far as um, acres to corn or, and beans? Did you see much switching this year? We did not. Um, in in Nebraska, a lot of people stick really close to that crop rotation, and um, you know whether it's a two year corn, one year bean, or a you know switching it every year between corn and beans. Um, if they uh, switch, you know switch out their rotation, it messes them up for a few more years down the road. So we didn't see a whole lot of switching out of that rotation this year. The, the acres seem to be. Stable. I mean, there was a little, a few flip flops here. There was maybe a few guys switching to some more beans, but um, not not a huge amount. Mm-hmm. Matt Youngman, as we look ahead to Husker Harvest Days uh, in mid September, one of the things that uh, uh, I enjoy about Husker is. Uh, you draw from a different area than we see uh, for farm progress. So you see folks from different parts of the country, different areas. So you get a different perspective on uh, things in another part of the country. 
Yeah, you know, you the if you look at you know we we draw most of our most of our crowd from a four hour drive time, and and that four hour drive time from Grand Isle, Nebraska, is going to catch. You know, it's going to catch Colorado and Kansas and, and, and South Dakota. And so, yeah, you're, you're, it certainly changes the look and feel. I mean, there are, there are real live genuine cowboys there that, that they wake up every morning and they produce beef for a living. And, and for, for guys like you and me that are from Illinois that might wear cowboy boots, we're not real live cowboys like that. And, and um, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really cool show um it's got a little bit it's it's a and and you would know it's it's a little more laid back and and Mm -hmm. and kind of relaxing event than than maybe maybe you would see it at farm progress show you know that's you and you and i live in a farm progress show and and husker harvest days kind of thing where we're gonna compare them but but that show certainly reflects western corn belt agriculture just just perfectly yeah, it's hard to describe to people that haven't been to both, but I think I think a farm progress show, a uh, little bigger crowds, and a little more. I want to try to get to as much as I can, and there's a little faster pace. It almost seems like and you said a little more laid back at uh, Husker, and uh, you just notice that 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 different pace. Uh, now you've invested a lot in those uh, grounds there in the actual show site in recent years. So tell us about that for Husker Harvest Days this year. Yeah, Husker Harvest Day started in 1978. So by the time we got to 2018, the facility was 40 years old. And, and really, the infrastructure that we were working with in 2000, leading up to 2018, was 40 was year old infrastructure. And, it, you know, we, we needed to do a renovation, and that's exactly what we did. We, we invested about $6.5 million into that facility uh, and, and kept it right where it is. And, and basically did a complete ground-up remodel to the entire show site. So brand-new electrical distribution, security lighting, fencing. Uh, I think the, big, the biggest visible change was the move from the crowned uh, gravel roads to paved, paved streets inside the grounds with, with storm sewer uh, drainage throughout the facility. Um, you know, it, it's, it's probably the premier outdoor trade show venue in the world you know i don't know of another facility that is better than husker harvest days to the point that uh we've got a cool thing going with the nebraska state uh patrol they have uh they have at an accident scene in the past they would bring out survey equipment to market and measure it and all that kind of stuff and and they're moving towards using drones using uavs to document accident scenes so they're using Husker Harvest Days and the streets in there to mock up crashes and then train the Nebraska State Patrolmen that are going to be pilots of these UAVs on how to how to document an accident scene. So it's kind of a it's it's just cool because they they have real live streets and intersections that they can mock up accidents and not have to worry about traffic and doing this training out on state highways. So that that's I mean that'll tell you the quality of the roads and streets inside the show site at Husker Harvest Days. Field demonstrations are a big part of Farm Progress Show. What about at Husker Harvest Days? At Husker Harvest Days, you get everything you get at Farm Progress Show and then some. So you you will get the harvest and you will get the tillage. But in addition to that, we have 45 acres of alfalfa planted. So we're going to run mowers and rakes and balers and hay handling and, and all those kind of things as a part of the daily schedule there at Husker Harvest Days. And, and 
for anybody who's seen a cattle handling demonstration, I think the, the cattle handling demonstration Husker Harvest Days is, is the biggest one in the country. We have 13 head shoots as well as scales and, and you know, RFID readers. And, and we, have, we have, you know, all of those different components in, in this amazing cattle handling demonstration. So, you know, it, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of everything we do at Farm Progress Show and then some. Yep, it, that's a big part of the show, that's for sure. And finally, Travis, here we are uh, at mid-June. What are you focused on now as you're uh, uh, working with farmers uh, throughout Nebraska? Well, um, you know, herbicide applications are wrapping up right now, so we're gearing up towards um, fungicide season, which will roll in here second week of July or so. Um, this year is kind of a unique opportunity for fungicide because it, we are having some awful stressful situations uh, weather-wise, and um, I think some people are starting to say, well, if I don't get, na- uh, get a rain within the next week, I'm going to drop my fungicide order and it's just too early to give up on your crop. And um, so trying to get people to stick with their crop and don't give up on it. Um, with the commodity prices this year, we're, you know, a fungicide becomes absolutely important because you're going to want the most bushels you can possibly get. Um, um, so, you know, fungicides bring the benefit of both disease control and stress reduction and Man, this year I think stress reduction is going to pay us a, a lot of money at the end of the season, just uh, being able to get through some of these dry periods and and uh, help the crop out. So that's what we're focused on right now. Um, there's still a lot of a long ways to go before harvest time. We could all use some stress reduction right now, right? <laughs> That, that's for sure, yeah. <laughs> All right, Travis, thank you. And uh, Matt, again, September 14th, 15th, and 16th. And uh, it seems a ways off, but it'll be here before we know it. That's exactly right. Thanks to Syngenta for putting this together. And, and I hope everybody joins us at Syngenta Square there on the show site for a cold drink on these hot days. Looking forward to it. I'll be broadcasting from the Sagenta tent both at Farm Progress Show and at Husker Harvest Days this year. Again, our Husker Harvest Days preview brought to you by Syngenta. Our thanks to Matt Youngman, Farm Progress Events Manager, and Travis Gustafson, Syngenta Agronomic Service Rep. Thank you both, and we'll have more previews as we go through this summer of both Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days. All right, that's going to take care of the the first part of our show, but stay with us. We have much more to come. We're going to look at dairy export and trade issues, and we're going to get an update on the Kansas wheat harvest. All that's still to come right here on AOA. Stay with us. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. 
You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. Grains and lean hogs were exceptionally lower yesterday with corn and hogs limit down. Soybeans made a historic one-day drop as selling erupted. The decline of grain futures did nothing to stem the selling tide. Generally, cattle would have benefited from such a severe price decline. Only feeder cattle were able to close higher in the 2022 contracts. The accumulation of a number of issues triggered liquidation that will be difficult to recover from. Cash cattle held Thursday at an average of $4 higher in the north and $2 higher in the south, which should have provided some support, but technical selling took over. China was the second largest buyer of feed on the weekly export sales report, but that was offset by lower sales. This morning, we are seeing trade in the green. July corn trading nine cents higher at 641 and three quarters, September up 12 and three quarters at 561 and a fraction. For soybeans, the July contract up 29 and three quarters at 1359 and a half cent. The August contract up 27 at 13.22 and three quarters. For wheat, Chicago wheat July up two and three quarters at 6.41 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat July up five and a half cent at 5.90 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat July down six cents at 7.45 and a fraction. September down six and a fraction at 7.50 even. Mixed futures for the livestock complex. August live cattle trading 85 cents higher at 121.95. The October contract up 82 at 127.42. August feeders down 82 cents at 156.52. The September contract a dollar five lower at 158.05. In lean hogs, the July contract trading 77 cents higher at 111.77. August up 215 at 109.35. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 476 points, the NASDAQ composite down 87, the S&P 500 down 41, the U.S. dollar index is trending higher. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we've not seen or heard a lot on trade issues from the uh, Biden administration, that, at least not in, compar- in comparison to some other issues. But we're starting to see some things. The U.S. and European Union uh, 
have had some talks, U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai and the European Commission Executive Vice President announced a deal aimed at ending tariffs tied to aircraft subsidies, but there are other areas of uh, disagreement, some major trade issues, and uh, we're going to talk about the EU and some other key markets around the world as far as dairy exports are concerned. And joining us now is Shauna Morris, Senior Vice President, Trade Policy for the National Milk Producers Federation. Shauna, thanks for joining us. Let's start there. Uh, we have some differences with the EU. Uh, what's the latest there as far as uh, dairy issues? Hey, Mike, thanks for having me. Uh, the latest on the EU front uh, is that we're facing a pretty serious challenge right now in terms of being able to maintain access into the European market. Uh, just a couple months from now, the EU changed some of its import documentation requirements, and the U.S. has been working very extensively, and we've been working very closely with them to try to navigate a better way forward and get a delay put in place. We really welcomed the good news this week. Like you mentioned, there's a bit of a breakthrough on the aircraft issues between the U.S. and EU that has uh, tariffs suspended. Our hope is that that type of goodwill uh, now leads to next steps in ag space to address this issue in particular. There's also been a, a bipartisan, and that's a, something we don't see a lot of on too many issues anymore, <laughs> but bipartisan uh, support to deal with these issues from members of Congress. Absolutely. And I think we're fortunate, especially in the dairy trade space, that we do tend to have pretty strong bipartisan support. Uh, there's a wide recognition on both sides of the aisle about the important role that exports play in helping support dairy farmers and dairy manufacturers. On this issue especially, earlier this week we worked uh, closely with a few uh, bipartisan members of Congress on the House side uh, to help support their letter to the EU ambassador to the United States. Uh, so the EU's representative here in D.C. Uh, to express concerns about this looming market access problem and reiterate the type of request that the U.S. government has already been hammering the Europeans on, which is, we need more time to negotiate a better way forward on these various new documentation import requirements. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that. As the EU plans to uh, impose new rules covering the import of dairy, meat, eggs, seafood, and uh, other food products, uh, from a dairy perspective, uh, how would this impact our exports to the EU? It's a pretty sizable change if, if we can't get the EU to, to shift uh, and, frankly, risks shutting us out of the market if we can't find a resolution here uh, or more time to get there. The basic change is that the EU is mandating a new import certificate. And the certificate's a document that the U.S. government issues when a lot of these products ship overseas to foreign markets uh, that has various assurances about the safety of the product. That's fine. We use these on a regular basis everywhere. We ship one to the EU right now, in fact, that the U.S. government signs no problem. Uh, the issue here with what the Europeans are looking for is that they are talking about introducing really specific new process requirements on how we produce safe products, how our animal disease monitoring system needs to work in order to be able to access their market. And that's where the issues come in. Because our system, frankly, isn't identical to theirs, uh, but it doesn't mean we're not producing safe products. 
And the U.S. ships about a $100 million worth of dairy products each year to the EU. So we're talking about a big market. We're talking about one actually even bigger than that, uh, because in addition to those direct sales, uh, we have a wider variety of sales at stake here. We export products to other countries, New Zealand, for instance, that they use in producing products that they ultimately ship to the EU. All of that caught up in this as well. And then we have dairy that's sold here in the U.S. to food manufacturers, making different processed products uh, outside the dairy universe that may go to the EU. So 100 million sort of just the floor. Uh, it's actually an even more sizable problem than that. Yep, so a lot at stake. We're talking with Shauna Morris, Senior Vice President, Trade Policy for the National Milk Producers Federation. The situation with Canada is that we're now uh, waiting for the process to continue to move forward. Uh, as you may have reminded your listeners, the U.S. Trade Representative's Office has launched the very first uh, dispute settlement case, the first enforcement action under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement against Canada because of how they've handled their dairy market access dairy issues. Market access. The next steps there are that they're working to form the panel of judges, of lawyers that need to hear the merits of this complaint. Uh, and they'll be the ones for the U.S. government and the Canadian government to lay out their arguments to, uh, to uh, and then evaluate uh, what needs to happen there. So that should be taking place over the course of this month. Uh, we're expecting that that panel of judges is likely to be beginning to reach some of their findings mid-fall uh, and that we'll probably likely to see something put out more publicly around the first quarter of 2022. How much dairy products are, are we actually moving into Canada right now? We usually export to Canada roughly $600 million worth of product a year. Uh, I think the big kicker for us has been that that pales in comparison to the type of open trade that we have with Mexico, which is easily $1.5 billion or, or thereabouts, depending on the year. Uh, and so USMCA was our opportunity to increase that. Uh, we're starting to see the door cracked, but want to make sure that we get the full benefit of the access that we got under that deal. And China, we're, we're trying to increase our market share in China. How are we doing there? Well, it depends on the product. Uh, so for certain products, uh, whey and lactose, for instance, uh, the U.S. is doing quite well on market share. We're a big, important supplier to that market, uh, which is a big piece of what helped rank China so high in terms of a major export destination for U.S. dairy. Some of the areas where we're looking to try to work together with the U.S. government and the Chinese government to get some more relief on the tariff side are areas where we see much smaller market access, though, things like cheese and milk powders, where China is a huge importer, but they're buying a pretty small slice, uh, you know, in the single digits market share from the U.S. in those areas. That's something we certainly think that we can play a much bigger role in helping meet China's growing needs. So we've talked EU, Canada, Mexico, China. What are some other markets that we should be watching that hold potential for U.S. dairy exports? Well, certainly a huge regional uh, opportunity area for us is Southeast Asia. Uh, that's a, a wide number of markets collectively. Uh, it's a very important and growing region, though, for our exports, with a number of the countries there ranking in our top 10 export destinations. That's one of the reasons why that's been high on our list in engaging with U.S. Uh, policymakers, whether that's the new administration or congressional offices, to tout the value that we think that pursuing new trade agreements in that region would have. 
And then, of course, another potential area where, uh, where we're voicing the same uh, advocacy piece in terms of move forward with a, a free trade agreement here is the United Kingdom. Uh, they're fresh off announcing a brand new agreement reached this week with Australia that includes dairy. And we're eager for the U.S. to move ahead and pick back up negotiations with that big dairy importing market. Yeah, got to be careful. We don't get left out of these deals, right? Exactly. Uh, agriculture is always hard. Uh, dairy is always hard within that universe. Uh, that's why we put a big emphasis on helping ensure that we're advocating loudly for what dairy wants to see and what the benefits for our industry and the U.S. economy more widely would be if we are included and, and we're able to see the, the benefits as part of a full-fledged agreement. Any movement at all on negotiations with the U.K. on a deal? That still seems to be on the drawing board. Uh, we're waiting to see the new administration's decisions on how they plan to move forward in the trade agreement space. And unfortunately, that still includes the U.K. in terms of uh, them working through that evaluation process for now. Yeah, like so many other areas, I've been talking about this uh, with the with this administration. We're still waiting for more details. This is another area as well. All right, Shauna, thanks for the update. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm Shauna Morris, Senior Vice President, Trade Policy for the National Milk Producers Federation. Stay with us. Wheat harvest underway in Kansas, and we're going to get a report from Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. We'll see how it's going. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and, if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. 
Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at dtnpf.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit dtnpf.com today. Hey, it's me, your cell phone. We need to talk about something, something serious. I know you love me, I know you like using me wherever you are, but I feel like this isn't working out when you're driving. I know you may think that it's possible to focus both on me and the road, but I just don't feel the same way. I think we should spend time away from each other when you're driving. It's for the best. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Jen Sorensen, president of the National Pork Producers Council. Well, let's talk about the line speed issue. Capacity has been a huge issue facing the industry anyway. Of course, on the other side, there are people talking about, well, what about safety and health concerns for workers and packing plants? So how do you address that and still keep line speeds up? Nobody is more cognizant of safety in our farms and on the plants than producers. This is not a worker safety issue. There is no data that suggests that these plants operating under the faster line speeds had increased worker safety issues. In fact, the, the data suggests that quite the opposite. So, you know, this is a nonpartisan issue. We need to get this fixed. We need a solution here and we need to keep our capacity. And ultimately, we need to all come to the table with USDA, with our labor unions and others to find to find a solution that works for all of us. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Want to reduce your risk of developing cancer? A healthy diet can help. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. It's been proven that a healthy lifestyle and early detection can prevent nearly half of all cancer deaths. So eat right. Choose a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables every meal. Look for foods low in calories, fat, and sodium. And maintain a healthy weight. A registered dietitian nutritionist can help. Find one at eatright.org. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Wheat harvest underway in Kansas. Let's get an update from Kansas Wheat CEO Justin Gilpin. Justin, thanks for joining us. Uh, are you staying warm enough? <laughs> yeah, thanks for turning the heat on, Mike. You can turn it down a little bit if you'd like. <laughs> it, uh, so, it certainly has been a hot, hot week, but uh, the wheat crop 
certainly has responded from it. We had record temperatures. I think it was around 105 uh, in uh, a lot of areas across central Kansas yesterday. Well, record heat. What about yields? Well, we're just getting started. So if you think about where Kansas, uh, you know, last time we talked, Mike, I was talking about how we had that wet, cool May and how the crop was about seven to ten days behind uh, in maturity and uh, we had good filling weather. But, boy, things sure changed changed quickly. Uh, The temperatures heated up. The wind started blowing. And a lot of those fields that were maybe a a week later in maturity uh, started to ripen by the hour, and and now uh, they we had combines that were rushing to get in the fields where they thought they hey, were going to have a little bit more time, and custom cutters were are scrambling to get up out of Texas and Oklahoma. But uh, state of Kansas really really is going pretty strong on that southern border. If you think about where Wichita, Kansas is, south of Wichita down to Oklahoma, that's that's really going in full swing. But even just yesterday, because everything has ripened so quickly, it's. Uh, we have some of our northern counties up almost close to Nebraska. There were reports of combines going, uh, and even further out west. Those early reports down in south central Kansas by Wichita, uh, they're some they're somewhat similar to the yield reports they were getting last year. Uh, kind of that 45 to 60 bushels per acre. Uh, I think there's some anticipation that uh, some of the uh, fields that were maybe a little bit later might have a little bit better yield as we kind of get into into harvest a little bit more, but um, you know, there was such an expectation for really good yields that uh, even though we have above average yields, you're, you, you can hear a little bit of disappointment in their voice a little bit. So I think they're hoping to get into a little bit better wheat as we get going here, Mike. Yeah, uh, always tough to manage expectations, right? Uh, sometimes it's hard to uh, to meet those expectations. What about the quality of the wheat? Well, early on, you know, that's that's probably been one of the things that everybody's trying to get a big handle on. Uh, we've been we've just done our second day harvest reports out of the Kansas Wheat Office, and and uh, almost all of the responses we get back uh, from from not just uh, people within the industry, but uh, farmers and a lot of farmers up north, they they contact us saying, well, what what's what's the proteins coming in at? Uh, and so, you know, when we think about the overall quality, the first thing is the kernel characteristics look to be pretty strong. You know, through Oklahoma, there was a lot of 62-pound test weights. The uh, kernel characteristics were, were pretty solid. Uh, with this hot weather, just almost it's uh, not good golfing or fishing weather for you, Mike, but it's pretty good wheat harvesting weather, and that's, that's what's allowing these combines to be going. And so the crop's actually coming in, uh, you know, pretty dry, uh, with uh, and, and it's, it's really uh, uh, it's really threshing really good uh, good clean wheat that's coming in. Uh, so the kernel characteristics look solid. The test weight looks solid. It's probably the protein that probably everybody's keeping an eye on. Uh, it has been below average so far. We are seeing some nine and a half and ten proteins that are being harvested and reported in that southern part of the state. A lot of station averages. You know, I think you, you hear extremes. You hear some of the low ends, and you're hearing some. Uh, some of the higher end, uh, you know, 12s and 1250s uh, that are coming in. Uh, but on average, I think we're kind of, uh, from a lot of the station averages we are hearing yesterday, we're, we're right around that 1050 to 11 uh, type protein in that south central Kansas area. That, uh, that We'll see if that kind of ticks up as we get farther farther north and a little bit farther west. Uh, that maybe this heat that shut that crop down before it was fully matured. Uh, we might get uh, a little bit higher proteins, but... Uh, but right now, that's that's probably what a lot of people are keeping an eye on and trying to figure out exactly uh, if they do have some higher protein, what 
what that might mean to a little extra value. You know, an interesting comment, Mike, about the proteins is uh, it's really drawn a lot of attention to management. Uh, I think there's going to be, uh, as we go into our planting schools this fall, uh, you're hearing in a lot of the reports that we're hearing, uh, you're specifically hearing the farmers that may have managed more intensively their, their wheat, uh, they're seeing a little bit better yields and they're seeing a little bit better quality. So I think there's there's something that's going to be uh, that's going to come out of this harvest about uh, trying to you know really hone in on what is the maximum management needed for wheat, not just for quality but for yield. And and I think that uh, I think that we've got a, uh, this this harvest is going to point out we've got some we've got some steps to make to to really help add value for farmers. Yeah, every growing season, every harvest, regardless of crop, is a learning experience. And uh, there on those combines, uh, you take those notes and kind of go to school and learn some things for next year. It's certainly about the management and varieties. You know, it's been been one of those years where we had uh, stripe rust uh, that really hit the crop. Uh, We've had uh, some viruses that hit the crop. And then this is a year where we had those cool, wet conditions that – varieties uh, or really being able to show what their genetic potential is because it didn't get shut down early. It uh, was trying to reach its maximum potential. And with these new varieties that are out here and some of these hard red winter wheats and hard white wheats, uh, you know, they do have a really top, a good top end yield that we didn't have 10 years ago uh, that do need to be managed a little bit differently. And so not only are farmers kind of paying attention to, you know, like what did what did my neighbor do that maybe did, had a little bit better yield? What type of fungicides he used? What uh, what was his uh, fertilizer program? Uh, you know, but he's also paying attention to some of these newer varieties. What variety was that uh, versus maybe a variety that uh, had been uh, safe seed for several years that may not have that top end yield that uh, some of these newer varieties have. So I think uh, you're right, Mike. I, there's a lot of notes being taken in the combine this year for sure, and it's a good to stay in that combine. Uh, and, that air-conditioned cab because yeah, it's pretty hot out there. For sure. <laughs> so harvest rolls on, and we'll check in with you again in about a week, uh, uh, Justin, and get another report when you have some more, uh, some more yield results, more harvest results coming in. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for what you do for agriculture, my friend. Okay, stay cool. Thanks. Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. That wraps it up for today and for the week. Stay cool, everyone. Be careful out there. We'll have on Monday. We'll have a complete look at the uh, national weather forecast and a complete look at these volatile commodity markets. So hope you'll join us then. Have a safe weekend. Thanks for joining us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.